in the book of Numbers. And it's ancient, but relevant. It's about Israel in the desert, as you know, in her wilderness wanderings. By application, it's about us. Israel was set free from her uh, bondage, and she was on her way, as you know, to her land of promise. She's not where she used to be, but she surely isn't where she wants to be. So she's in between. Israel were in-betweeners. You are an in-betweener. You're no longer where you used to be. You got set free, but you're not yet one who has entered into your promised land, heaven. And so we're in the same kind of wilderness journey ancient Israel was. And therein is the bridge between ancient history and application relevant to us today. So last week, I spoke to you about priests or by application ministers. And I labeled the message guardians given as gifts. They were guardians of holiness surrounding the tabernacle wherein God established his presence. They were tasked with the responsibility to make sure that holy things were dealt with in a holy manner and that no one would just casually approach the very place where God established his presence. They had to establish a measure of personal holiness, of course, in their own lives, and they had to enforce it in the lives of others. And God said in that last text, Numbers 18 at the beginning, God said, if you fail to do this, if you enforce to raise the bar of holiness, you will bear the guilt. I understand this, every person responsible, but the priest, the minister, a greater brother, a greater measure of responsibility. That's just the way it is. The privilege of ministry, but the great responsibility as well. So it says these guardians will bear the guilt. So God gave them ministers, called out ones as gifts to guard the holy character of the church of Jesus Christ. And so tonight's message is slightly different. It's the next verses in chapter 8, beginning in verse 8, chapter 18, verse 8. If last week was entitled, Guardians Given as Gifts, then let's call tonight, Gifts Given to Gardens, Guardians. So I'm going to talk about money, but I didn't tell you about this in advance because I wanted you to come. Uh, so, so hang on. Uh, don't, don't, don't leave. Guardians are given as gifts, but now gifts have to be given to guardians. I just want you to know that the legitimate support, uh, material support, of those who minister to you spiritually is not an American thing. It's a divine mandate. I just want you to know that. So to the extent that you're participating in it, and you are, thank God for the membership of this church, I just want to encourage you, and no, we didn't make this up. This is a God thing. So, so, so follow with me. Numbers chapter 18, verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron, high priest. Now behold, I myself have given you charge of my offerings, Even all the holy gifts of the sons of Israel, I've given them to you as a portion and to your sons as a perpetual allotment. I have given them, I, God, have given them these gifts to you as a portion. This shall be yours from the most holy gifts reserved from the fire. Every offering of theirs, every offering that the people bring, even every grain offering and every sin offering and every guilt offering, which they shall render to me, shall be most holy for you. So this is a God thing, isn't it? You see? Nobody made this up. This, is a God. this also is yours, verse 11, the offering 
of their gift. Even all the wave offerings of the sons of Israel, I've given them to you and to your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual allotment. Every one of your household who is clean may eat it. All the best of the fresh oil and the best of the fresh wine and of the grain, the first fruits of those which they give to the Lord, I give them to you. The first ripe fruits of all that is in their land which they bring to the Lord shall be yours. Shall be yours. The priest, by extension, ministers today. They shall be yours. Everyone of your household may eat of it who is clean. All the offerings of the holy gifts which the sons of Israel offer to the Lord, I have given to you and your sons and your daughters with you as a perpetual. How many times has it said perpetual, perpetual? Several times. No fat in the Bible. If it's repeated, we ought to pay attention to it. It's not a temporary thing. This didn't happen just in ancient Israel. It applies to those who minister and those who receive their ministry even today. It is an everlasting, does your Bible say covenant of salt? That's odd, isn't it? We don't speak in that language. Covenant of salt. It shall be as an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord to you and to your... Dis- what does that mean, covenant of salt? It's a... Uh, in ancient Israel, it was kind of a sort of a metaphor uh, of permanence. See, see salt keeps its uh, flavor uh, permanently. That's the thing of salt. It's a preservative. makes stuff. Uh, endure, have longer shelf life. That's the idea. This covenant is not temporary. In other words, we can't get off the hook so easy. You cannot say, well, this is numbers. You know, this is, this is a long time. This does not apply. No, it's a covenant of salt. It's permanent. It's to be enforced. Now, folks, do you agree that uh, God is wise? You agree that the Most High God is all wise. Do you believe he's good? So you believe the most high God, who is all wise, is good. Therefore, everything emanating from God is good. Can I tell you why this arrangement is a very, very good thing? It's not a burden to provide for the material needs of ministers. I'm a little awkward sharing tonight because I are one, and I don't want to look like I'm tooting my own horn. I'm not, but you can't skip around in the text. We left off at the first part of this chapter last week. I'm obligated to continue right here, okay? So don't blame the agenda on me. I did not write this. You know, take it up with God. You can talk later. I'm just trying to tell you, God is wise and God is good. Everything he does is a reflection of his goodness and of his holiness and his wisdom. And let me tell you why it's wise that workers, full-time workers, ministers, duly called, recognized ministers, let me tell you why it's good that they should receive their upkeep from their people. It creates a very healthy interdependence, you see? Uh, The people have to look to God to provide for them so that they could provide uh, for their ministers. So it creates a healthy dependence on the part of the people towards God. And it creates a healthy dependence on the part of the ministers towards the people and God. Because the ministers have to count on, do you mind if I say this, Uh, what is sometimes a very fickle group of people for their sustenance. I just have to tell you, that's 
This is, listen, not long before this, these very people who Aaron and the others are going to depend on for their support, you recall there was mutiny in the ranks, lots of grumbling and complaining. They said, why'd you bring us out here? We could have died back over there in Egypt. They had fish over there. We got nothing over here. Remember when they said, Aaron, who do you think you are? We can, we can handle the holy. We can be custodians of the holy things. Not, do you remember? Those are the very people Aaron had had to depend on for his sustenance. So this is a real uh, cure for ministerial pride, which we are prone to. Ministerial pride. We think we're something special. It's very easy. You get to stand up in front of people. They look at you. Sometimes you have to guess they're looking because their eyes are closed. But, but, but I know in your heart. So this is sort of a cure for ministerial pride because you say, oh God, I have to trust you. To meet my material needs while I, while I expend myself spiritually for the care and fleeting of, uh, feeding of these for whom you died and whom you love. And oh God, I'm going to try not to be distracted by financial concerns. Because I know you want the totality of my sacrificial service. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And so the minister is cured of pride because he's utterly dependent on the beneficence of Almighty God as manifested through the people. But then the people have to be cured of presumption, ministerial pride, congregational presumption. What is the presumption? Our minister's just, I mean, I'm not beholden to him. It's a presumption that what he does is supposed to come free. He has no needs. His family has no needs. He's supposed to be here for me. He is here for me. I don't need to be here for him. No, that is a false presumption. And so God, the all-wise God, has created this system of financial interdependence to bind us both to him. The minister has to trust God to provide through the people. And the people have to trust God to provide for them so that they can give a portion for the support of the minister. This is a good thing, you see. This divine arrangement... Uh, creates a very healthy kind of interdependence so that we really, really need each other and we surely, surely, we surely need the Lord. That's for sure. Now it says this, verse 21. To the sons of Levi, behold, I've given all the tithe. You've heard of the word tithe? Keep it in mind just for a second. I've given all the tithe in Israel for an inheritance. In return for their service, which they perform, the service of the tent of meeting. For the tithe, there's the word again, of the sons of Israel, which they offer as an offering to the Lord. This is verse 24. I've given to the Levites for an inheritance. Therefore, I have said concerning them, they shall have no inheritance among the sons of Israel. When you're called to the ministry, it is a great, great privilege And it is surrounded with great, great dangers. It is the danger of using the ministry for selfish purposes. It is the danger of exploiting the flock allotted to your charge. It is the danger of being too wedded to the things of this life. And so God said, no, you shall have no portion in the land. I will be your portion. And I will provide for you through these people. That's... God's plan. So it says in verse 24, uh, verse 26, Moreover, you shall speak to the Levites and say to them, When you take from the sons of Israel the tithe 
which I have given you from them for your inheritance, then you shall present, you shall present an offering from it to the Lord, a tithe of the tithe. Look at this. When you ministers receive, because I ordain it, when you receive a portion from the people for your upkeep, from the portion, you too shall give a portion back to me. Why? Because our Heavenly Father is really, really good. And He wants everyone, including ministers, to develop the discipline of giving so as to experience the joy of giving. I remember when our three boys were little and we would bring them to church. Uh, we would put in their hand before we got into church a quarter. Each one got a quarter. So that each one in turn could put it into the offering. Now why did, what did they do? To do? They didn't earn. Are you kidding? I mean, I would have docked their pay if they had any for all that they put their mother and I through. We, listen, as dad, I just wanted them to get in on the blessing of participating in investing in that which will guarantee their surest return, the kingdom of God. So their father wanted them to experience the joy. Their father didn't need their money. They didn't earn their money. Their father provided for them everything they had on the way to church, in church, and back home from church. And their father gave them what their father wanted them to give so that they could learn, number one, this is what we do. It's an emanation of a thankful heart. And this is what we receive way beyond what we give. I don't mean just materially. I mean the joy of giving. And that's how our father does us. He doesn't need our money. That's not it. He wants us to develop the discipline of a healthy dependence on him, especially in today's economy. It's more of a challenge. And God wants us to know he's not subject to the stock market and inflation and whatever else is going on. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He considers us not only to be his kids, but a royal priesthood. Therefore, don't act lower than the calling. And so the Father gives us uh, our upkeep so that from it we will have the wherewithal to give back a portion and thus experience the irrational joy of giving. You see, the world says if you want, then keep it, hoard it, accumulate it, invest it. But God says, oh no, give it away. And I will bless you. Press down and overflowing and all this. It's just one of those biblical anomalies. Uh, something that is absolutely confounding to human reason. And you don't know it until you, get in on, until you get in on the joy of giving. So God said, this is not just for the congregants. This is for the ministers as well. And so in the text, the tithe has been mentioned three, maybe four times. So let me take a little departure from the text and talk about the tithe just just for a few moments. Uh, we use the term all the time. I just want to make sure we don't take it for granted. It means a tenth. That's what it means. Tithe means a tenth. It means 10%. Do you know uh, historians and archaeologists have discovered evidence of ones in ancient cultures giving a tithe to whomever they thought was their deity? 
not necessarily the one true God, but they would give a tenth of agricultural produce to the God of the trees or the God of the lakes, whatever it was, tenth. It wasn't mandated. It wasn't standardized. It wasn't regulated. Something in them just motivated them to give. Abraham did this in Genesis chapter 14, didn't he? He gave a tithe. He gave 10%. Now, I'll tell you what's significant of that. Genesis takes place before Leviticus, does it not? But the tithe is not mandated for Israel until you get to Leviticus. Somebody should have told Abram he could have kept it. But Abram would have said, I don't need to hear from you. My heart is preaching really loud and saying, Abram, what do you have that you have not received? And Abram would say, nothing. I've received everything from Creator God. And then Abram's heart would say, don't you want to say thank you? And Abram's heart would say, yes. And if I don't have a means of saying thank you, my heart will burst. And so long before Moses said, thou shalt tithe, Abram tithe, you see? So I just want you to see before the law, there was tithing. Then under the law, God, through Moses, mandated tithing. But it's a little different than what you think. I mentioned to you the tithe is 10%, but there was more than one tithe in ancient Israel. So if you want to be a biblical tither, buckle up. There were three tithes. One was 10%, which was to be given. It's the one we're reading about in this text. To priests and Levites for their upkeep. But the second tithe of 10% is known as the festival tithe. And this was to be collected on the first and second and fourth years. First, second, and fourth years. So the tithe in those years would be 20% of your income. Are you with me? So you got two tithes. But then there was a third tithe, another 10% tithe, which was to be given uh, to meet the needs of the poor. And that was to be collected in the third and sixth years only. So in the third year, you're given 30%. And in the sixth year, you're given 30%. And in some of the years, you're given 20%. You're never just given 10%. So I'll tell you this. If you want to continue tithing, why don't we just get serious and do it the way it says in the Bible? It's not a mere 10%. Not at all. But let me just relieve your agony for a second here and say something a bit controversial. And I'm willing to be corrected, but you have to come with me with Scripture. Do not come with me with, to, with church tradition. That won't do. I got enough tradition as a Jew that outlasts church. I got three thousand. I got lots of tradition that uh, if it if it doesn't if it's not consistent with biblical truth, I got to leave behind. Let me challenge you to do the same. See if you can find for me anywhere in the New Testament where the tithe is commanded. Sometime go home. It's just a challenging thing. Maybe there is. Give you something to do later tonight, or even now if you're bored. In none of the writings of Paul, John, Peter, Jude, in none of the epistles written to disciple believers in the New Testament is the tithe mandated. Why? Here's where we get controversial. It was never given to you. It was given as part of the law of Moses to Israel. 
If you want to tithe, as Israel did, then welcome to my world of kosher food. Do you have the taste buds for gefilte fish? I mean, it's a whole deal. It's a package deal. Can I tell you what the principle of giving in the new and far better covenant is now? It is not a standardized percentage. I'll read to you the New Testament principle of giving. It's simple. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Old Testament, the tithe is mandated. New Testament, giving is invited. That's called movement from infancy to maturity in Christ. Infancy, thou shalt. Maturity, what does your heart say? Two principles of giving today. What has God enabled you to give? You can't give what he hasn't provided to us, so don't get nervous. That's one principle. What has he provided? Second, what is your heart saying to you? Just like it said to Abram long before the tithe was mandated. So let me tell you this. The tithe as a 10% figure is perfectly legitimate as a, a referent, as a starting point. So I'm not, I'm not preaching against it. I just have found in my experience as a minister, perhaps I'm wrong, that some people have gotten so legalistically bound to the 10%, listen to me, that if at certain times in their life they can't give 10%, do you know how much they give? Nothing. Because they feel like I can't give the 10%. Therefore, I'm already disqualified from God's favor. Therefore, I'll give nothing. That's not true. That's not true. Remember, two conditions. Forgiving. What has God enabled you to give? That changes in the ebb and flow of life, doesn't it? So you know what God wants? I don't think God wants us to be mechanistically robot-like obligated to a standard figure. I think he wants us to regularly say, oh God, what have you enabled me to give? And oh God, how much do I love you today and want to say thank you. Look, uh, let's say my wife's birthday is coming up. Let's just say. And let's say I, uh, I go to Brother Chuck. Brother Chuck, I'm doing this to keep you awake. No, no. Let's say I go to Brother, I say, Brother Chuck, Sue's birthday is coming up. I don't know what to get her. And Brother Chuck says, I got the perfect idea. You will get major points. with this. And he gives me some notion of what to, what to, you go over here and you buy it and you wrap it up and all. I, oh, that is a great idea. Let's say I do it. And I bring this particular thing home and on my wife's birthday, I said, here, I love you. And this is happy birthday. This is for you. And she opens it, and Brother Chuck was right. Oh, my goodness. She just, she starts crying. She doesn't know what to say, and she gives me a big hug, and everything is going great. And I make the mistake of saying, do you like it? She says, I love it. And I said, oh, yeah, Brother Chuck told me I should get that for you. (laughs) Goodbye, romance. (laughs) Hello, sleep on the couch. You see... And you know what God is saying? Uh, I don't want you to be a standard 
mindless, heartless giver. I don't want you to just do, you know, it comes out of your paycheck, goes to bank, and you settle the deal, and we never talk about this anymore. I want you to romance me. It, it isn't about the volume, the quantity. It isn't about a percentage. Do you love me today? Are you loving me more? Have I enabled you to give? Am I not meeting your needs? Have I abandoned you in the wilderness any more than I abandoned Israel in the wilderness? I think God wants us to regularly examine our giving program so as to determine what is then the suitable emanation, you see, of of our heart. So, so be careful, folks. Be very, very careful. Now, don't, I am not talking anyone out of a 10% figure. I, I, I'm just telling you, you're not under the law of Moses, and you never were. And if you want the tithing part of it, then I'll see you on Saturday for Sabbath worship. Okay, don't come Sunday. We'll just meet, because that's, that's part of the law, isn't it? You see? So, 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 so be careful over here. Giving is a great privilege, a great joy, and it is a matter of the heart. So here's another very simple New Testament principle. Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Freely you received, freely give. You see? Again, you can correct me if, you're wrong, uh, if I'm wrong here, but you cannot find the tithe commanded anywhere in the new covenant. Remember, it's new covenant. Everything in the old covenant is a mere shadow, <laughs> and it points to ultimate fulfillment in the new covenant. Now, the last time I gave this message, I, I really ruffled feathers. And one man, this was in another church, one of the deacons came to me, that kind of preaching is going to do our church in. We'll never meet our budget. We exceeded the budget. It was the largest budgetary requirement in the history of that church, and we exceeded it without even noticing it. Because people started to give, not as a mandate or out of obligation or mechanistically, but as if they're in a romantic relationship with Father God who pursues us with a love that will not let us go. And I had many people tell me it's been years since I gave anything because we haven't been able to manage 10% of our income, therefore we've, get, we've given nothing. <laughs> you see what the percentage will do? You see what I'm saying? Okay, so maybe I'm wrong about this. I'm only saying that because I'm not. But, 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 but just for argument's sake, if I am... Just do a study of, of New Testament scripture. Just get a concordance. Look up the word tithe. It is mentioned in the New Testament, but you will see it not in a positive fashion. It's actually used by the Lord to rebuke the religious people of the day. He's, the Lord says to the Jewish religious leaders, you do this, you do this, you do this, and you tithe, but there's no heart. <laughs> so so that's, that's one of the mentions of the of the tithe in the New Testament. Now, you might say, how come I've never heard this? I don't have answers to those questions. All I know is, um, when it comes to truth or tradition, what are you going to choose? <laughs> I recommend biblical truth. If this is not biblical truth, maybe it's not, then tell me and we'll talk about it. 
Let me close with this. Uh, What's the most well-known verse in the Bible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For God so loved, loved to such an extent that he gave. For God felt so obligated to the world. For God felt so intimidated by the world population. For God felt so backed in a corner, so pressured. What preceded God's giving? A loving heart. For God so loved, how do I know this? That he gave. What? His one of a kind. No duplicate. Uh, God's resources are infinite and his heart is opened to such great extent that there's no limitations both on what he can give and both what he's willing to give. He gave us his only begotten son. I think that's a paradigm for a lot of things, not the least of which is giving. For God's people so love him. No, not for God's people felt so pressured, so intimidated, so fearful, so bound. So obligated, so mandated, so commanded. For God's people so loved the creator of the world who became their savior. That their giving to him was something they needed to do as a way of saying thank you. And if they didn't have it, they would burst wide open. It's not the act of giving. It's the motivation behind it. What's your motivation? Listen, if you want the law, you got to live under all of it. I was somewhat facetious earlier, but I kind of mean it. That's why Paul says, are you so foolish having been set free from the law? And my fellow Baptists, there may be some legalistic things we need to be set free of too. Let's not just pin it on Israel, okay? You have my email address. (laughs) Feel free to send me an email after the rapture. You'll have plenty of time. You know... uh, It's a very challenging and rough day for everybody. A bit unsettling, for sure. And uh, a loving God does not want us to invest in passing things, and therefore he's loosing our hold on passing things, including the uh, idol, which is, which is called the American dollar. <clears throat> but there's going to come a day <laughs> when we see the king of glory coming in the clouds. And nothing else will matter. And the romance with which we have been romanced and returned the favor to God now is going to continue. Nothing else matters. But this will continue on to eternity and forevermore. <laughs>